It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello. Hello. We're worried that the uh, that the uh, the the banter the banter well the millibants uh, are going to be a little dry this week. Lloydy bants. Yeah, because we, we we saw each other only a couple of days ago. We, we went to the David Axelrod yes. interview from the previous episode. I, I've really I, you know it, it gets better you know all the time seeing you. Do you think so? <laughs> I felt like you were sick of the sight of me when you Not turned up all. this morning. Not at all. I was quite disappointed with the David Axelrod. Not the interview, which I thought was wonderful, but we ended up uh, going to the hotel he was staying to interview him. But we were supposed to be doing it at your house. And I thought I was finally going to get to meet Justine, your wife. I, I, you, it feels like there are three, there are three of us in the, <laughs> for three of us in the marriage anyway. So I kind of, I'm quite shocked that you haven't met her. Do you think she disapproves of me? No, I think Ed's fallen Why, in with a bad. That was a pause. Why should I pause? <laughs> I was just worried that she thought Ed had fallen in with a bad, bad crowd. You know, there's that Larry David thing where he says if you if you're kind of doing a denial, which is unconvincing, you go to a higher voice. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I don't think that. <laughs> but uh, what, but what, one day, one day, yeah, your body language has gone very close. I know, and I'm basically folding arms my arms. Are very Why tightly am I folded. My arms? No, no, I think she th- she thinks you're a light that has come into my life. And do you think we could get a stage to a stage where your sons call me Uncle Jeff? Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen, is it? Eventually. Okay. <laughs> I'm very good. I do that thing when I, um, I meet a kid where I shake the hand and then pretend it's stuck. It's, it goes down very well does with it, like seven and eight-year-olds. Does it work? They love it. Yeah, yeah. The funny thing was that Axelrod didn't seem that impressed when you did that trick on him. <laughs> He looked. He looked. Sort of, he was basically like, "Who's this dude that you've brought along with you?" With his with his yeah. funny tricks, with yeah. his like, "I want my hand back." I, I do. I do see that a lot when I'm with you. Like people's the expression on people's face generally says, "How the mighty have fallen." <laughs> I don't think that's true. At You're all. slumming it. Um, we received a tweet. I thought this was wonderful. This came from. Have you got got the name? The I have a name. 
uh, the Twitter name, yes, Sho Kono. Sho is some kind of artist or illustrator and basically has made an illustration of last week's episode on land value tax with all the different aspects of it. Uh, in there, you can see like offshore tax It's havens, actually really good, isn't it? Construction. Uh, you can see people holding on to, to property. There's a hammer and sickle down there. I can't quite remember why. And there's even the board game Class Struggle that we mentioned last week. But I thought how wonderful it would be to have one of these for every episode we do. And then it would be like, did you, did you used to watch that's life on the television that's with life Esther yes Ransom. i did yes i did the funny that's, shaped carrots that's yes. what they would have at the end of every episode they had a cartoon on the screen really summing up what had everything that had been talked funny, about i don't remember that at all i just remember the funny shaped carrots well maybe maybe on social media we can do like a tony hart style gallery it's tony hart it's a bit tony hart isn't yeah it? yeah where, where listeners send in their artwork and we can display them and say oh, that's not very good for a 32 year old or, or whatever okay that's a good idea yeah good that? idea um so shall, shall we talk about what we're going to be talking about this week? Yes. Now, we planned some time ago that we were going to talk about the fact that um, both the government uh, and the opposition, the cross-party view that we should update the Gender Recognition Act, which is about essentially about rights for transgender people. So, you know, the LGBT plus movement has made huge advances, but there is, there's clearly some way to go. And we'll talk about the substance of why this act needs uh, updating and all of that uh, in terms of the rights of trans people in this country. You still get a lot of transphobia, bullying. Um, the, the people, if you want to change your gender, you have to go through a, a sort of medicalization process, not just a process of you know, actually changing your name on your birth certificate and all and all of that. Um, uh, but um, so, so we're going to do this anyway, and it's an important area. And I think, you know, it's an important set of rights to be talking about. And then, uh, in a way, it's very appropriate to be doing this this week because the, you know, the, the, the moral panic has broken out, um, not about Brexit uh, or about Boris Johnson or about the fact that the government is falling apart, but about children wearing, boys wearing tiaras. You know, the, the Church of England, I mean, just to be clear about this story, the Church of England put out some extremely sensible advice. I'll just read you a little bit of it, because I think it is really worth hearing what is behind these headlines. Uh, and it basically says uh, this, the, the relevant bit. In the early years, context and and throughout primary school, play should be a hallmark of creative exploration. Pupils need to be able to play with the many cloaks of identity, sometimes quite literally with the dressing up box. Children should be at liberty to explore the possibilities of who they might be without judgment or derision. For example, a child may choose the tutu, princess's tiara and heels and or the fireman's helmet, tool belt and superhero cloak without expectation or comment. Childhood has a sacred space for creative self-imagining. Now, it seems to me... I don't know what you think. What's controversial about that? I, I don't know. I don't know where the, where these things come from. I don't know if the papers have like a um, a tombola with different issues in them that they decide to get into a tizzy about. But I mean, boy, did they get into a tizzy? Yeah. So the the Mail front page Church let little boys wear tiaras. New advice on transgender bullying for C of E school teachers. And you know, it's all sort of kind of classically ranty pants. You know. Uh, uh, Daily Mail. But, but although actually the first paragraph says, boys as young as five should be able to wear tiaras at school without criticism, teachers in the Church of England school are to be told. Let's just get to the point here. I mean, what is the, you know, so you're going to say to boys, you know, 
oh, you mustn't do that. You're just a girl, or you know, what, what, you're you're weird. What, what, what's the you know what, what's what's the alternative to this advice? It's, it's so strange. It's like the Church of England have suggested compulsory tiaras for all boys. And also, well done to Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury. But but by the way, that's not the only thing. So on the same day, uh, we've got a front page story in the Sun. Uh, Sing along, children. The skirt on the drag queen goes swish, swish, swish. Trans classes for kids age two. Now, what is this story actually about? Well, it turns out it's a story that was written in actually many local newspapers in Bristol and in The Sun itself in June 2017. So they've, they've dragged out a story that they'd already, no pun intended, yeah. that, they've, that they've already uh, written. It was that under the headline Dragonori. And all it is is about drag queens going in to read, to read in schools. Now, I don't know about you, but I mean, maybe there's a big threat out here, out there, which is Widow Twanky. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, what the, what the, pantomime i mean sorry you know maybe the sun should be having front page things about pantomime our children are being corrupted little eugene downstairs only 18 months old don't take him to panto jeff because he's going to be corrupted by panto there's a big threat looming threat out there not brexit not the red menace but panto (laughs) what do they what they think is going to happen to these kids what, I mean, what's 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 the, the what's the end point that they're so terrified of? Well, look, isn't the truth about this that it's it's sort of uh, it's different things in different cases, but they're playing on people's ignorance and you know the fact that this is a relatively new issue for people to get their heads around because it's been so hidden of you know the whole question of gender identity and children and indeed adults who are. Who who feel like that the 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 sex they were born with doesn't reflect their their true identity, and so people the 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 tabloids are playing on, you know, people's lack of knowledge about this to stoke up a kind of moral, pa- you know, I mean, it's, it's a out, moral of, panic. out of nothing. Yeah, and you will remember this. Maybe you um, are slightly too young, but you know, when I was growing up, there was this thing about a book called Jenny Lives with Eric and Martin. Right. Yes. Do you remember this? Yeah. Yeah. And it was. It was a very similar, it was like the early 1980s, a very similar moral panic. The Sun wrote a story, um, vile book in school, pupils see pictures of gay lovers. Now, it turned out to be about Jenny, who lives with Eric and Martin, you know, like engaging in such nefarious activities as walking down the street reading books. I mean, and and apparently it, was even on, it wasn't even on loan to, to kids, it was on loan to, to, to teachers. But, you know... It's sort of. I said on the podcast a few weeks ago, we've made massive progress because you know at the Pink News Awards, Theresa May, Jeremy Corbyn both said we've got to update the Gender Recognition Act. We can't have bullying against trans people. Being trans is not an illness, said Theresa May. She gave a good speech, and then we've got the Times, the Sun, the Mail, who are sto- they're just stoking this up. Mm. The, the, you're, you're right to say there is a reason to. It's, it seems bleak when you think of big national newspapers running those things on the front pages, but it is a reason to be cheerful in the sense that you mentioned that stuff from the 80s and Section 28, and, and society got better because yeah, this stuff yeah. was talked about. And of course, trans activists uh, have, have brought this into the conversation. And I have no doubt that in you know, 10 years or 15 years, we will be in so much a better place with this stuff than we are now, right? Well, probably, but I think, look, I think what's going on is that 
this uh, you know that these these things don't happen accidentally there's this gender recognition act is going to be updated justine greening is the um education secretary who's responsible for this maria miller is the chair of the select committee the women and equality select committee that that did a report on this i think about a year ago she's taken quite progressive positions on this you know across the committee i think this is an attempt by people on in a, from a, coming from a certain viewpoint to basically kind of have a go you know have a go and try and knock this off course i, I it must be that i think but it won't be right. It won't be knocked off course. Well, let's see what happens. But look, you know, we're gonna we're gonna explore the issues today, um, and I think it's right that we explore the issues because, look, I don't know about you, but you know, it's one of these issues where I feel I need to learn and understand more. And also, in case people think, oh well, you know, it's all harmless, it isn't all harmless. You know, eight out of ten trans young people have self harmed as a consequence of harassment and bullying. A quarter of trans people feel obliged to change their jobs. 38% of trans people have experienced physical intimidation and threats and 81% have experienced some kind of harassment. You know, the horrend- horrendous numbers. And, and so, you know, it isn't harmless. And, and you know, the basic point I would make to, about this is, of course, people are going to have different points of view. And that's part of society. It's part of society playing these things out, having a dialogue about it. But if there's one lesson that some of these newspapers should learn from the 1980s, it's humility. Why don't you start with a bit of humility rather than sort of knee-jerk sort of bonkersness? But that's not how they work, is it? That no. what, what what they no. think is like what what are air, what are, what are buttons that we can press that get people het up? Yeah, and this is still one of those buttons, so that's no, why they're no, pressing it. No, it, it is. Well, look, we're going to talk about this in a serious and sober way. Um, we're going to be talking to a, a parent of a young trans girl. He he and his wife uh, run a blog called Growing Up Transgender. We're not naming him. He wants to remain anonymous. It's absolutely fine. Totally understand the reasons for that. Uh, we're going to be talking to Paris Lees, who's a transgender writer, um, activist, presenter, uh, about some of the issues. And we're going to be talking to Helen Webberly, uh, a GP who specialises in these in these issues. We should also mention that uh, later we'll have comedian Miranda Kane in to pitch her ideas, which could be potential reasons to be cheerful. What's yours? My reason to be cheerful this week, I am leaving on a jet plane. I know, I'm quite sad. Yeah, I'm, uh, my, my wife is American. Not forever. No. <laughs> Um, After nine episodes, Jeff is emigrating. <laughs> my wife's American, so we're going over there for Thanksgiving, which um, I spent most of my life only having sort of heard it mentioned in films and not really giving it a second thought. And it's a wonderful holiday because America is, is all these different communities and they, they very much sort of like to identify that by the groups that they're in. And Thanksgiving is a holiday that everybody celebrates. So it's really, really lovely. And Is everything of, closed down for for Thanksgiving? I think so by the, after, by the afternoon. And then, of course, it opens up again in force for Black Friday the following day. Oh, but, yeah. yeah. Black Friday is not exactly the best of human nature. <laughs> but I'll be going to my wife's family's house. Um, her, her brother's cooking the food. And then... The, um, what, do, what, what What's your role in the festivities? Just to sort of eat eat and drink, basically. Yeah. And also, I think I'm still... Make a, merry. I'm still, still a curiosity. I think having an English person uh, there is still a, still a, still a, still Gee, a novelty. Jeff, that's great to see you. Exactly. Oh. Have, you, have you told them that I'm coming? <laughs> my mother-in-law i mean she would be in heaven if i brought somebody for thanksgiving she's got... a british person with a cute accent exactly yes she's a big big fan of you on the podcast is that right yeah well maybe i should um maybe i should sort of 
drop in. Well, you have your own reason to be cheerful. I do have it. It's it's sort of slightly less glamorous than yours. I'm going to Sweden uh, for two days for a conference. You say that, but I'm the biggest Swede. You are. I know. I know. That's kind of why it's my reason to be cheerful. No, I like Sweden. Um, I like Scandinavia. Uh, you know, more equal country. They're nice people. It's sort of you know, there's lots of good things about it. The quality of the spoken English as well is it's unbelievable. I've yes. got a, a Swedish friend called Alex, and one time I was discussing um, floorboards with him. This was a very interesting conversation, but I was trying to decide which type of floorboards I, I should get. And he was saying, uh, well, you have to think about, uh, oh, God, what's the word? My English is so bad. You have to think about the pigmentation in the wood. I thought, I think I could learn a language my whole life and I would never never learn the equivalent of the word It is slightly humbling, isn't it, the way? Yeah. How, how is your Swedish? Uh, in, in to sobra. But why are you... St- Not so good. I'll teach you some swear words if you like, ready for your trip to Gothenburg. Off mic. (laughs) Yes. Off off, off mic. Well, anyway, I shall, we shall, but we shall be connecting up. I will be back from Sweden. You will still be in um, the US and Chicago. Mm. uh, And we'll be connecting up for. Episode 10, won't we? Yeah, and I'll try and find somebody to uh, to talk to in Chicago. I mean, it might be my mother-in-law, but hopefully... That would be fine. Maybe you could do, a, maybe you could do sort of live from your mother-in-law's turkey. This, this is not a woman who needs any encouraging. Really? Yeah. Reasons to be Cheerful, a podcast about ideas with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. So we're joined now by Joe, who is a parent of a young uh, trans child. Um, he... Uh, writes a blog, as I said in the introduction, called Growing Up Transgender with His Wife. Joe, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. J- just let's start by you talking a bit about your experience as a par- parent of a young trans person. Um, it's been tough. Um, and it's been tough because of, largely because of the stigma that's attached to um, being a parent of a trans child and trans people in general in the UK. I think in this last week, we've seen seven transphobic articles from one broadsheet newspaper. Seven. It's extraordinary. You can't possibly counter that sort of level of blanket propaganda specifically designed to target my child, and it's incredibly hurtful. Um, but you know what? It's it's amazing to be here where you're, you're, you're reaching out to, to parents and you're reaching out to transgender people um, who so rarely get a voice, um, and particularly trans children, if, if trans trans adults don't get a voice, trans children don't get a look in, and you 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 rarely in any of these articles hear the voice of those children. And I'm really happy to be here to to try and represent them. Let me ask you about um, your personal experience, if you just don't mind. And obviously, we it's anonymous this, but I just think for listeners who are not well informed on these issues, as many people aren't, just tell us a little bit about sort of you know. <laughs> You didn't know anything about transgender issues before your personal experience. So tell us a little bit about your personal experience, how you dealt with it, how you dealt with it in terms of the school and how it's kind of worked out. Um, I think I think for myself and for, for many parents of trans children, um, when this first manifested itself, in our case, at, at a very young age, um, we... We didn't know what to think. We, I had no experience of, of transgender people other than what I'd seen in the press growing up, and that was largely focused on transvestitism and, and often in a very cruel and, and, and nasty way. I had no idea what, what I was dealing with, and, and there's, there's absolutely no support available for, for 
parents of trans children. So how did you go about sort of work, working it all out then? Who did you talk to? Well, I think I think like everybody, Google Google is your friend. Right, yeah, so, yeah. so starting to look at um, uh, what's available online I, I took me to the NHS page, and there's a page on gender dysphoria, um, which is something that many trans children experience. You asked about... Um, the kind of the challenges that, that you go through as a parent, um, I find that in kind of every avenue of life, you're dealing with people who have been exposed to, as we said, this kind of stigmatising media. Um, and so you're constantly having to educate people. That might be in schools. You have to educate, in our case, the kind of GP. You have to educate from social services. You have to educate your family. You have to ed- educate yourself. And are people open, you know, people initially open to that? Is it a struggle at first and then people get to understand it? I think it very much depends. I think we've lost friends and we've lost, we've lost family. And I think every person who's got transgender children has experienced the same. Um, I think probably every transgender transgender adult has experienced the same. It's it's um, There's a lot of stigma. Um, I suppose it's like it's like um, being gay 20, 30, 40 years ago, um, that where there's uh, kind of ignorance and um, extreme misinformation, there's stigma. and But that's changing. And, for, and forgive me for asking this question. I don't want to be at all intrusive. The, the, for, for parents who are sort of listening to this, trying to sort of understand it, there was no doubt about what your daughter was expressing i mean in other words some people will say oh well is it's just dressing up in a you know uh, different clothes or but there was no there was no question about what it was you were seeing i think there's a big difference between gender expression which is okay maybe presenting yourself and wearing clothes of a different gender um i'm sure when i grew up i was wearing a dress as a child occasionally i'm sure other people did um that has nothing to do with gender identity so our gender identity is, is how you feel um and trans children are those who say i am I am a girl, as my daughter did. She didn't say I want to be, or, or I feel like I might want to, you know, have a play in, in that. It wasn't, it wasn't play or make believe, or, or it, she, she, she intrinsically, internally, and consistently believes herself to be a girl because because she is a girl. Um, as I said, there's from a from quite a young age, from quite a young, from age. a very young, from a very young age. And some of these kids now are saying, as soon as they can speak, I'm a girl. And well, what do you do with that as a parent? You d- you don't know what to do really. Um, it almost reminds me of when left-handedness was seen as a curse, and they try and make people right-handed. Yeah, that's, that's a really good parallel. It's a really good model because in 1900 there was about two percent prevalence for left-handedness in the UK. Two percent. Now there's twelve point five percent. Now that isn't because there's suddenly more left-handed people in the world. It's yeah. not. It's simply because there's no stigma. You yeah. aren't being beaten in school and forced to convert to left-handedness. So, yeah. so your your daughter was saying this to you, and you, I know you've got other kids as well. Obviously, your other kids didn't say that. But and, and, and how long did it take you to then accept and sort of act on it? A long time. Right. And I feel incredibly guilty about the fact it took us that long because we, like any parent would, we said, well. I don't know what's going on here. Um, we try to tell her, well, you can be, you can be whoever you are. You can do whatever you want. You can play with what you want. You can wear whatever you want. You can be whoever you're going to be. Um, but you're not, you're not a girl. Well, she kept saying, well, no, I, I am, <laughs> I, I am a girl. Uh, and and eventually we 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 had to listen because she, she was getting depressed. Um, she was very sad, um, as many children are. This particularly affects teens. Um, I was talking to some other parents this morning, and who've who going through a terrible, terrible time with their with their teenage because they're just so sad in 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 who they are and and the body they have. And whatever people can do to try and lift that stigma, to talk about these issues, and to celebrate some of the reasons to be cheerful, um, of which there are many, the better. And you've and you've made now progress with the school because because so you accepted it. 
and then you went to the school they'd never had an experience of this before the governors and that's a positive story isn't it about about eventually i guess Definitely, there are so many positive stories, but it's relying upon individual parents um, to be advocates for their children who aren't experienced in this. We, we're, we're exhausted. It's exhausting being the parent of a trans child. You're constantly having to fight for, for your child to, to, for equality and to gain access to services and to be respected in who they are and, and, and who they clearly are. And as I said, there's a, there's a durable biological underpinning for, for, transgen- for transgender identity. You can't, you can't change... Um, you can't. Whatever you do, that child, you're not going to change the outcome for that child. Just as those left-handed kids are still going to be left-handed, but they're going to force to be with the right hand. It's just giving the ability to 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 be out, to be open, to be to be celebrated for who they are. And here's an interesting thing: the classmates of of your daughter are fully accepting of this. Joe, this is a, this is a story we hear all over. Children are so accepting, and you know, it just gives me such hope for the future, where where youth are just. Yeah, you know, they don't read the the Times. Mm. Um, they they they're so accepting of 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 anybody really. I, I think I think it's so important that we get LGBT education schools at the earliest age. And I know Peter Tatchell, for example, has been campaigning on this issue. I strongly support that. I strongly support. Um, better um better education at the earliest ages so you've managed with the school with the governors with the support of your daughter's classmates to construct a safe environment for your daughter at school yeah and it's and it it is about safety i mean the the bottom line we we all want our children to be safe we all want them to be safe and happy Uh, yeah and and happy yeah and our our child is safe and happy and that's wonderful but i know trans kids who aren't There there was a trans child who was shot in school but with an air rifle last year i mean why isn't that front page front page news story in the times and and what do you think is the impact of the sort of media coverage that we've seen in the last week or two i i really try and avoid it because it's just so so as i said so painful and, and, and stigmatizing i mean i am feeling i'm feeling slightly worried about about the fact that um you know, the brexit process is feeling a bit left out um there's been there's been less of that on the front page this week so um <laughs> uh, I, I, I know that the, the, I know that really, really you know, focused on trans kids at the moment. But I'm hoping we're going to going to resume to normality soon. <laughs> so, if you look at the press coverage of um, the recent couple of weeks, it, it looks very bleak. But we were trying to get at this in the intro before things things are getting better, despite that, right? Definitely, and really. As a parent of a trans child, you, you just don't want to read newspapers anymore because it's just so it's just so awful. But um, I can see so many things to be to be happy about, and and I've tried to come up with a list of things, reasons to be cheerful, yep. to kind of tie in with the, the podcast theme. Okay, you know, to count those seven yeah. news stories. So, first of all, we've got the Gender Recognition Act. This is being uh, debated at the moment. We've had the first debates in Parliament about trans people. I mean, that in itself is, is extraordinary, and it's happened within within my lifetime, which is just brilliant, and my child's lifetime. Um, and there's cross party support for for transgender people. Um, and that's just fabulous. Labour, if I shout out people, um, this isn't to say that no one else is doing this, but these people who, 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 who personally I feel have been really leading the way, people like Sarah Champion for Labour, um, uh, Maria Miller for, for the Tories, who've, who's just been you know, tireless in, in, in her advocacy, and Justine Greening, again, having Justine to be an advocate for LGBT issues um, in government, it's just, it's just so powerful. Yeah. Um, everybody in the SNP... Literally everybody, in, really in Scotland, and at the House of Lords, people like Liz Barker. Number two, the GRA again. Scotland are getting in ahead of us. Um, 
there they already um, launched their consultation which is just fabulous i read it yesterday it's a it's a good good long read 182 pages <laughs> but um it's it, it's really wonderful to see particularly to see such strong support from women's rights groups um advocating put out statement supports including um kind of rape crisis scotland um and some of the uh the the, the organizations supporting domestic violence um number three going international here um Recently, there's been some elections in, in the United States uh, at state level, um, and for the first time, there were there were transgender candidates on the ballot who who succeeded and have been elected to office. Not one; there were eight wow. eight transgender candidates, including the first openly out trans state um, legislator. That's great because you can you can look at the states and think, oh god, it's depressing over there, especially with some of the stuff Trump has said. But the electorate is... and in Virginia, I think she beat the guy who tried to the guy who tried to bring a bring in a, a law specifically targeting to be discriminatory against trans people, and and she beat him. So it's it's right kind of in your face all of the negative stuff that's come out of Trump, and I and I really see it as a sign of things to come. And representation is so important at the moment. We're going to have this GRA bill. There's not a single openly out transgender member of parliament. I mean, that's extraordinary. Um, I can't think of another piece of legislation where you're debating the existence of people and there's not representation. So it's so important that that people who are kind of on the side of this are really advocating for for trans rights. Give us number four. Number four. Um, Now, this is important. This is the most recent, up-to-date, cutting-edge research from the Endocrine Society. This is the International Society of Endocrinologists that publishes guidance across the world for people to to prescribe and uh, give medicine to, to uh, to trans youth and adolescents. And they've said... There is a durable biological underpinning to gender identity. So put simply, this is biological. You can't change who you are. You can't change whatever you do as a parent, whether you support your child or not, that is not going to influence who your child who your child is and who they turn out to be. And it's just really important that this this research is kind of catching up and and showing the stigma for what it is um, and challenging what's what's there at the moment. Particularly, I'd like to talk about Australia because they've come out with some wonderful and gender-affirmative national guidelines for treatment of trans children um, which provide best practice, evidence-based, on how to best to support um, trans, trans children and gender-diverse children. So are they the country that's doing it best at the moment, then, in your experience? Um, I think they are. I say I say yes, but you may be aware there's been a, a recent uh, vote on um, same-sex marriage, and unfortunately, trans children, just as they are in the UK, have been a target in this. Right. So whenever there's there's any debate regarding regarding LGBT rights, trans children become the target because, as I said, they've got no voice, they've got no representation, and it's really important that when we come to the GRA debate, as we're seeing now. Um, that, that the attacks that are happening don't focus on trans children because it's, it's horrible for those children, it's horrible for those families and for trans people in general, um, especially as they've got no platform and no right of reply. And what's your, what's your final reason? Final reason, the evidence says there's, there's a large longitudinal study happening right now in the United States across multi-sites. Um, this is led by um, Dr Olson Kennedy and others. Um, and they found that, that supported transgender children... Um, have no worse outcomes than anyone else. If you support your transgender child, they are not going to be a victim to to some of the horrible outcomes that we, we read about um, in the newspaper. They are going to thrive. As my daughter is thriving at school, as she as she's supported um, by her family, by the community, by everyone around her. And I really hope um, in time the UK will catch up with this and in five or ten years' time we'll have a first transgender member of parliament. 
you know, I, I was saying in the introduction that I grew up in the 1980s when there was a whole hysteria about, it started with a book called Jenny Lives with Eric and Martin, uh, which was a book that was actually even available to kids. Now, if you tried to have that kind of moral panic about gay parents, you know, you'd be given short shrift. And in a way, that's that's the positive about this, isn't it? it definitely. I mean, we see transgender as the last bastion of bigotry. And it, you know, it's sad that people feel that they feel able to be bigoted and, and transphobic in the national newspapers. I think that people can look back on this in 10 years' time and be deeply, deeply embarrassed, just as journalists are, the, the stories they're putting out 20 years ago um, in, during Section 28. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. We re- I, I must be incredibly hard... To, to share your story. So we really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for having me. We're joined now by Dr. Helen Webberley, a GP who specialises in work with transgender uh, children uh, and young adults. Um, Helen, perhaps you can just sort of kick off by saying something about the process by which young people have to go through in the NHS and, and, and what you think of that process? Quite often when, when the public who are interested in transgender issues read about or hear about um, stories from people, they automatically think that the first step is that the, the person says, I want to change gender, and then it's straight into things like sex change drugs, sex change operations. And I think what's missing is the great big story that happens before any of that stage. What happens is a young person, usually from a very early age, mum or dad notices that something isn't right and the child is, is saying, you know, I don't want to have my hair long, I want to, I, I, I'm not a girl, I'm a boy, I want to have my hair cut short like all the other boys. Or I don't want to wear school trousers, um, I feel like I should be wearing school school dresses like the other girls, you know. So it, these things happen yeah. very, very, very early on. And what, what what's becoming more popular now is what they call a social transition. So basically, at school, at home, um, with grandparents, in in the safety of that environment, the child is allowed to express their gender identity in um, in terms of play, in terms of names, clothes, pronouns, um, he and she and they and and what have you, to really find out more about that child's identity and experiment and, and, and play with it, which is really important. During primary school time is a really good time for that to happen. Um, it's a nice, safe um, time and, and no medication, n- nothing medical needs to be done. The first time that anything medical might need to be done is when the child starts puberty. And one of the issues that we have is if we allow, which I agree with, allow this social transition, this social expression and um, experimentation to take place, is that that child going through primary school has the expectation that their bodies are going to do what the other girls' bodies are going to do. Instead of um, developing as the other girl, they develop as the other boys develop. And things like facial hair sprouting, um, voices breaking, those kind of things um, are very, very distressing to children when 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 it's the wrong puberty. So that's the first stage of any kind of medical intervention um, and, and what we use is something called a puberty blocker. Um, we've used them for many years in children. Uh, there's a condition called precocious puberty, where puberty in, in, a, in a small number of children happens kind of age of four or five or six, much too early for that child. Um, and if children who have that condition, we've used these, these drugs for a long time, which just pauses puberty until it's the right time. 
So for trans children, what, what, what these puberty blocking injections do um, is allow puberty just to be put on hold during secondary school. Forgive me for interrupting. What process do young people have to go through to get the puberty blockers? Presumably you have to go through a whole process. Well, the thing is, you see, if you talk to parents of trans children, they've all already gone through this their own kind of assessment process during those primary school years. So very yes. often when the time is coming and, and puberty is starting, the parent and child are really clear that this is a trans child. And yet what's happening at the moment on the NHS is that's a kind of time when people say, right, we've we got to get this child to the GP now. We need, some, we need some help. And they go to the GP and very often I'm hearing parents say that the GP just doesn't know what to do. Or even worse, might say, no, 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 let's, let's, let's leave it a few more years and see what happens. Or even worse, um, they don't believe in transgender issues and, and you know, try and perhaps put the, put the child off. And I think I'm right in saying that even if they get a referral to the to the service, there can be very, very long delays. Is that right? That's, that's right. So there is sometimes a delay from when the child goes to the GP to actually get the GP to refer the child. Um, then, there's a, then there's a long waiting list. Once they have been referred, there's a long waiting list to get seen by the specialist clinics. You then get referred to another um, NHS clinic, which is the endocrine clinic. Um, and then there's a waiting list for that. Then there's an assessment process within that clinic. And then your, your endocrinologist may say, right, I agree, we can prescribe. And then they recommend to the GP to prescribe. And then sometimes the GP will say, no, we should never make rash decisions. We should never jump into these things. But what's happening is during that time, the child is going through puberty. And that's that's the real the real um, shame. So what do you think needs to be done, Helen? It, what, what, what would be a better system? Well, for a start, we need to completely eliminate the waiting times that don't need to be there. For gender care, and this is for young people and especially even worse in adult services, um, those waiting times can be a year. I think it's even got to four years in one of the clinics. That's the NHS breaking its its own pledge to us um, in terms of making treatment available. Also, what you do have is these long assessment processes. You've got parents saying... Please don't put me through this. We completely know that our child is trans. It's obvious. And these are the reasons why it's obvious. You know, look back from the from age two until now and look at the story. Understand that we, we really, really know that our child is trans. Um, and yet they still have to go through the same process as a family who's less sure. Um, and less certain, um, you know, and, and needs much more exploration. And let me ask you this question, and again, this is partly for enlightenment. What about those people who say, you know, puberty is a very confusing time? Isn't it quite sort of dangerous to emit these kind of interventions? How would you respond to that? What's happening at the moment is there is a ter- terrible fear that we might do the wrong thing. So if you put a child on treatment, and we're still talking about the pressing pause treatment, not the sex change treatment, if you know what I mean. So we're talking about the pressing yes, pause yes. treatment. So if you stop that treatment, puberty just restarts, okay? But yet we're still too cautious to do that, just in case we've done the wrong thing. And what's happening is, just in case we do the wrong thing to one person, uh, 99 or 999, I don't know what the figures are, are being um, hurt because they are going through puberty just in case one 
changes their mind. What about the drugs, the hormones that actually help people to sort of change sex? When are they available? When do you think they should be available? Talk us through that. So we've been waiting with anticipation for the Endocrine Society guidelines. And what they've said is, and I completely agree, is that usually around the age of 15, 16 might be a good time for children. And what they have also said, which is, which is vital, is that they fully understand that in some circumstances, earlier than 16, it might be the right time. And this goes along with the, the Centre of Excellence for Transgender Healthcare in the USA. And their, their catchphrase that they like to use is stages, not ages. So they don't put an age on it. They don't say, you're not allowed this until this age. They say, let's take every person individually and, and work out what's the best thing for that person individually. And, you know, you will have seen that I got into a lot of stick for helping a 12-year-old. And now, is 12-year-old too young? For many 12-year-olds, it's too young. For that 12-year-old, I still maintain it was the right decision, and so does the family um, think it was the right decision. So I don't ever think we should put an age on it. And in the UK, we have the privilege that we allow children to have an impact on their, on their health care. Children who are able to consent and, and understand what treatment means and what not treatment means, because that's very important too, they should have a voice and a say in, the, in, what, in their treatment plans. Um, and what I'm hearing so much is that children are not given a voice. They're shouting it from the highest mountain, please give me this treatment that I want. And the answer is not until you're 16. Helen, thank you so much for joining us and for uh, explaining the situation so, so clearly. Thank you. We're joined by award-winning writer, presenter and activist Paris Lees. Hello. Hello. Is it award-winning or multi-award-winning? It's, well, it's multi-award-winning. I mean, it's but... important to get these things I mean, you're, straight. <laughs> you're just award-winning, aren't no, you? No, no, I'm multi-award-winning oh, multi- if you look up there on the shelf. I'm, I'm not award-winning I mean, I know you at have all. your award nomination yeah. and we'll, we'll see how I, it goes. I think I've got more than you, actually. Well, I think, <laughs> I think my, my, mine has to be single award nominee. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Faris, we, we, we are reasons to be cheerful on this podcast and um, with the Gender Recognition Act, there's a, a big cause for positivity, but it must be difficult to feel positive after the the way the press has been in, the, in recent days. Well, yeah, I've got really mixed feelings because it genuinely does feel like, you know, this is on the front page of certain right wing newspapers every single day. And it's intimidating. It's, you know, I see that I'm in the supermarket and I look at that and it feels like we're coming for you. You know, you're marked. Actually, what worries me about it is it isn't yet the government's position, this, because the government's got Mm. a good position, but what the right-wing press are trying to do is they see the Gender Recognition Act coming, they see the changes that are about to happen, they see the cross-party consensus, and they're trying to get in, they're trying to sort of insert themselves in there to try and push the government off what is a good position. Well, yeah, that's true. But I really, really, really hope that politicians will actually go on the evidence. And the good news is that there are lots of countries that have already introduced uh, this self-identification. So Argentina's had it since 2012. Denmark, Malta, Norway, I think introduced it in 2015. Just do one thing for us. Just explain, because just for people, listeners who don't necessarily okay with all this, just explain what the changes that are being talked about the Gender Recognition Act around self-identification and so on are all about, because that's just a sort of basic thing to, to clarify. 
Right. So basically, at the moment, if you want to change your gender legally, and that's quite a watery concept anyway, you have to apply for a gender recognition certificate. And you have to go through a medical process. It's a it's a very cumbersome process cha- at the moment. Is it, that right? It's cumbersome and it costs money uh, for people, a group of people who generally don't have a lot of money. Um, <clears throat> my friend had to go in and show her genitals to her GP. Uh, you know, it's just it's just really unnecessary and intrusive process. It's just it's just another hoop for us to jump through. And actually there are lots of countries now where you can just kind of, you know, file a form the same as, you know, a change of name deeds or I mean obviously it's different for every country and usually that needs to be verified by the government. But basically what they're saying now is they just want to make it a little bit more streamlined and a little bit less invasive and um because you know then and it's you can't just you can't just turn up and say oh i'm just going to be a woman today and then i'll be a man tomorrow or something like that you do have to actually show that you know you're changing your your details on your bank documents and all the rest of it that it's a legitimate thing that it's a genuine thing like when people change their names like when people get married you know it's it's a public declaration of your identity um and the great news is is that you know they've had this in ireland since 2015 and there haven't been any problems whatsoever. So all of these people who are getting really worried and saying, oh, it could lead to this and it could lead to that. Well, we know there, there I think probably collectively all of the countries that have this very sensible uh, approach in place to, you know, gender identification. I think collectively we're probably looking at millions, if not billions of people are living in countries where this is already a thing. And so, there isn't there haven't been any problems. So, so isn't that great? There's good international experience. Presumably, that's not the only change you want, though. I mean, talk a bit about the experience of being a trans person, kind of growing up in Britain, living in Britain, and what else needs to change. I think really what this is, is a public debate on the legitimacy of trans people in the same way that, you know, the gay marriage debate. I mean, it was about gay marriage ostensibly, but ultimately it was about are gay people full and equal members of society? Do they deserve respect? And we're having that conversation now. It's bringing out a lot of hatred, a lot of prejudice, a lot of bigotry, a lot of just pure ignorance, actually, because we're something like less than 1% of the population. I think most people these days probably know a gay person. They may be blessed with one in their family if they're lucky. Um, You know, for, for, for trans people... Oftentimes, you know, through my activism, going to different organisations and stuff, you say, have you ever met a trans person? I mean, come on, guys, do, do you know a trans person? I, I don't have a don't. trans person in the context of my phone, no. Right, OK. I don't right. Yeah. So, so this, you know, and that's fine, but this this is what we're dealing with, you know. So ultimately, it's a group of people having a conversation about people that they don't even know, you know. And all I'm asking for is, is for people to kind of listen to our experiences. Um to come on to your thing about kind of growing up, I mean, this stuff and especially all this stuff about trans kids that's in the papers at the moment is really upsetting to me because I knew that I was a girl from the age of four, as many trans people do from a really early age, like pretty much as soon as I could talk, you know, um, I was told, no, you can't do this. It's just not an option. Um, I wasn't accepted to be 
who I knew that I was. I was, you know, forced to be a, a boy or li live as a boy. I was, you know, I was sent to football. I was sent to boxing and all the rest of it. You know, it was, you know, I got clips around the ear hole for talking like a pufter. Every single, you know, way that I turned in my life. I mean, my my mum was quite accepting and she let me play with dolls and, and Polly Pockets and things like that. But as you can see, it wasn't entirely successful. So, you know, you cannot turn a child trans who isn't trans. So nobody's going to get carried away. But equally, you can't stop a child who is trans from being trans. So you've got two options. Some kids are transgender. So if your child comes to you and tells you that that's how they feel, you can either accept them and love them for who they say they are. Or you can try to force them to be something that they're not, like my parents did and many other people's parents did. And subject them to you know completely unnecessary misery for years and just to be clear about this there is a distinct clear distinction and i'm afraid people are blurring it in some of what's written there's a clear distinction between you know kids who want to dress up as a girl who might be boys who want to dress up as a girl you know all of that and what you what you were feeling. I mean, just to be, I just, I'm sorry to ask that, but it's just, it's really important to be clear about this, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And as we've seen, kids aren't being marched off to gender identity clinics for sex changes. I mean, it's, it's just not happening. It's only the kids that feel so strongly. And that, that's why you take them to see an expert to, to find out which kids it's just, you know, they're having a bit of fun and, and, and playing around and that's fine and just let them get on with it. You know, women saying, I played with Chucks when I was a girl, you know, I was a tomboy, doesn't mean I'm I'm transgender. It's like, well, that's your experience, but it is not the same thing. And literally these kids are so unhappy. They, they feel like they would do anything just to be accepted for who they and say they are. And you felt, I mean, obviously you felt un just... Being a boy was not what you wanted to be. Yeah. And, you know, we can go into the, you know, you can you can theorise about it and and bring in all, all, all your kind of ideas or you look at the biology and all the rest of it. But the bottom line is we don't really know why people are trans any more than we know why people are gay or why some people are left handed. But what we do know for sure is that the best option is to just accept people. And, you know, I don't know why I'm trans. I'm just happier now. You know, I was really unhappy when I was growing up as a child. I was really unhappy as a teenager. Then I transitioned. I got loads of, uh, you know, abuse and prejudice and discrimination. And that made me pretty unhappy. But now I don't have that. I don't have that stigma. And I'm in a pretty good place in my life. And I'm much happier being this way. I mean, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not causing any problems. What is the big deal? Can we talk a little bit about representation? So I feel like we... we have grown up in a culture where to some extent trans has been a, a punchline and we've all been complicit in that just because we haven't thought about it enough and we're starting to think about it now. I mean, did you see people who were like you represented in the media when you were growing up? The only time that I saw trans people in the media when I was growing up was if we were presented as objects of ridicule, pity or disgust. You know, uh, any sort of box set, comedy box set that you've got, there will be um, a, a trans person is, is the butt of the joke. Um, I am totally in love with this idea of this powerful trans lobby <laughs> at the moment. It's it's fantastic. Um, 
and you're I, still I, looking for it, aren't I'm you? I'm still. Well, I, I think it's. I think it's me, Kelly Maloney, and and the transvestite that lives at the bottom of my street. <laughs> but it's. It, I mean, I don't mean to 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 uh, you know criticize the great people that are doing great work, but it's just like I kind of feel like this this trans lobby could do with a few more high court judges, uh, newspaper editors, MPs. columnists, MPs, uh, army generals, university deans. <laughs> I mean, come on, are you for real? I mean, the the the, the fact is there just haven't been any trans people with a voice in public life up until the past couple of years. Still, the narrative is very much controlled by people who don't have any first-hand experience of the issues and they just don't know what they're talking about. And actually, I, I do want to go here actually and talk about age because it just seems to be every week that it's just a you know, prominent old person has you know, must share their oh-so-important opinion on trans people. You know, Salman Rushdie's, I think, in his 70s. We've had Robert Winston making some ridiculous comments in the Daily Mail. Jermaine Greer's in her 80s. I'd actually quite like to read something that she wrote in The Independent in 1980. Um, she said, on the day that the female eunuch was issued in America, a person in flapping draperies rushed up to me and grabbed my hand. Thank you so much for all, you, for all you've done for us girls. I smirked and nodded and stepped backwards, trying to extricate my hand from the enormous, knuckly, hairy, be-ringed paw that clutched it. The face staring into mine was thickly coated with pancake makeup, through which the stubble was already burgeoning, in futile competition with a Danelle wig of immense luxuriance and two pairs of false eyelashes. Against the bony ribs that could be countered through its flimsy scarf dress swung a polished steel women's liberation emblem. I should have said you're a man. The female eunuch has done less than nothing for you. The transvestite held me in a rapist grip. Now, yeah, it's shocking, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it, so this was in a a mainstream paper. People like this were allowed to say the most disgusting, hateful things about trans people, pure prejudice and, and, and bigotry, you know, animal imagery in there, you know, comparing this person, you know, saying that they've got a rapist. It, it's really, really abhorrent. And this is a darling of the left. And actually... We are coming out now and saying this is not who we are. You are peddling really dangerous stereotypes about us and, and we've had enough of it and we're speaking for ourselves. And actually, you know, that was, you know, most people reading that. The reason that I went un unnoticed because people probably heard that and thought, oh, God, that sounds awful, doesn't it? These are kids that we're talking about, kids that are being bullied at school. And they're reading this and they're seeing this. You know, let, let, let's deal with some of the other mythology that is being put out there. And, and, you know, I'm raising this because I think it's important to sort of expose some of it. So the the Times had a, an editorial um, earlier this week, which I thought was pretty disgraceful, to be absolutely honest. One of the things they said in it is that Topshop declaring that its changes will become gender neutral. And I'm quoting here uh, would be. Uh, that would be fine, they said, if its stores had secure spaces in which young women could be spared the attention of licentious older men. So so that's the argument, and you'll have heard it lots of times, that all of this stuff about gender-neutral bathrooms and changing rooms and so on is somehow a charter for sort of, you know, groping men. Well, yeah, OK. I mean, first of all, can I say, I, I don't particularly want to share a changing room with, with a licentious old, old man, you know, myself. And for for instance, they have gender neutral changing rooms in Urban Outfitters, which is my second home. <laughs> um, and um, you know they are they're secure and they've got big big locks and it's all the rest of it. So yeah, there is a conversation to be had about how we implement these things and you know uh, you know gender neutral toilets, for instance, things like 
that. But that's not what's happening here. And it's really, really sad what's happening to the times, actually. Um, and you, you look, it's it's clearly got an agenda now, an anti-trans agenda. And actually, we saw this in the 80s, didn't we? Because we were told that gay rights were somehow in opposition to children's rights. And this it's setting up this really horrible sort of binary of, oh, if we let gay people have this, which of course was promoted by newspapers like The Times and the right-wing press leading up to Section 28. And I think that we're seeing exactly the same thing now. It's it's I mean, it's literally moral panic and it's it's not based on any evidence. Just to bring it back to the countries that have already got this in place, it is just not happening. You know, we're saying, oh, we, you know, uh, I, I saw Helen Lewis, uh, deputy editor of the New Statesman, saying, oh, we need to have a conversation about how this this you know this is going to affect women's refuges and things like that. Well, I had a woman on Twitter who's a trustee of uh, Women's Refuge. And she said, I'm a trustee of a women's refuge that has been seriously threatened by budget cuts. And we have never asked ourselves whether refusing trans women is the answer. Trans women are our sisters in our community. So actually, if you go and have a look at the feminist organisations and the women's refuges, they are not saying that this is a problem. They are saying that this is trans inclusive. So don't you dare try and use women's refuges to justify discrimination and hatred and prejudice towards transgender people in the way that people try to uh, justify homophobia against gay people by saying that it was corrupting, you know, little children's minds in the 80s. It's disgusting. Let me put another thing that's been written to you, which is that somehow it's so hard being gay, either as a gay young man or woman, um, and it is, of course, that 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 somehow you might be led into being trans by YouTube or it being somehow fashionable. And I'm just putting that to you because that's one of the things that's been written. Yeah, well, I think it's a really good example of people who are ignorant, haven't been through this themselves, don't know anybody who has, looking at it from the outside and thinking, I've got to try and understand this. I've got to try and create a theory. And it's got a truth in it. It's got a sort of truthiness to it, hasn't it? It sort of sounds like, oh, yes, that could be happening. Um, But it's not, you know, it's just not. And the idea that it's easier to be trans than to be gay is just mind-boggling. I mean, honestly, like, I mean, just just being a woman, the amount of crap you have to put up with, Ed, the idea that it's somehow easier as a woman or a trans woman is 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 just insane, literally insane. And in case you think I'm making this up, the Times leader also said this, most of the self-defined patients are gay young women, many with autism, depression or problems with anxiety. Many had suffered sexual abuse. Constant confirmation among the like-minded on social media is giving young people unwarranted certainty. Quote, I assume that everything must yield to me, that the entire universe had to flatter my whims, the Marquis de Sade said. That libertine impulse is now extending to identity. Isn't that disgusting to bring the Marquis de Sade into it? Because it, it the and the implications of that. I mean, it's it's quite clearly emotive and with an agenda, and it's not based on any evidence. It's not. It sounds oh, it sounds terrible. The, it, where is the evidence? Provide evidence for the claim. That's what I would say to these people. What about the argument, and it has been put by by some people, that, that there are people who go through gender reassignment and then have regret about it? Well, oh God. see, we just have to spend so much time responding to stuff like this. And it's like, why are we talking about that? It's a tiny 
proportion of people actually if you go in and look at the evidence you see that gender reassignment is one of the most successful procedures carried out on the nhs and honestly the newspapers if there were that many of these people they'd be on the front page of the daily mail every single day so where are they and presumably you want to spend your time talking about all of the trans young people and older people who are facing you know real uh, terrible discrimination. Well, this is it, isn't it? Because we spend so much time uh, trying to demolish the other people's crackpot theories about why we might be trans, that we're not really talking about the important issues. And I find it absolutely outrageous that newspapers that carry um, negative stories about anti-bullying campaigns um, on their front page Failed to even report the fact that almost half of trans pupils in the UK have attempted suicide, according to uh, Stonewall survey. Uh, you know, Stonewall, completely trustworthy, largest LGBT charity in Britain, backing up what various studies around the world. We know that these kids are vulnerable. It's just not up. It's just not up for discussion. They are vulnerable, and we know that they're facing oftentimes uh, uh, family rejection, stigma, bullying at school. They're seeing all this stuff in the media. They can see, you know, that every single day they're seeing the message that, uh, you know, they're inferior, that they're less than, that they're not real, that their identity is a joke. I saw this stuff growing up. Matthew Todd's book, uh, Straight Jacket, uh, he talks about, you know, being a child in the 80s. And uh, he was he had this moment in, in a playground where he realised all those words that he was saying, seeing in the newspapers, uh, puffter, pansy, um, gay, homo, um, gay, gay disease. And then he had a realisation Oh no, those words, they're talking about me. That's me. He was 10. And he details in his book, you know, the effect that growing up, you know, in that context has. That's why we know that LGBT people are more likely to suffer from addiction, depression, mental health issues, and suicide. It's not rocket science. So these kids, these trans kids that are growing up now, are highly vulnerable. Nobody's speaking up for them. I think we need an urgent public debate on just who and what is causing them to feel so suicidal and what we can do about it. Why aren't we talking about that? And last question from me. Um, Give us a reason to be cheerful, because that's the title of the podcast. I mean, we've talked a lot about some of the stuff that's been in the media. We've talked a lot about some of the problems that trans young people and others face. But things are moving. There is a cross-party consensus it's got to be built on presumably that's that's positive yeah I think reasons to be cheerful about this is yeah we are seeing a bit of a backlash at the moment but it's in response to genuine progress and actually when people go in and look at the facts um you know (laughs) there just isn't an argument to be made you know I am me this is who I am and there isn't a case to be made to stop me from being me. Ultimately, we are going to win this argument because we're right. So um, you just need to make sure that you're on the right side of history if you're listening to this. That was great. Thank you so much. So wonderful. Paris, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Well, that was quite an emotional set of interviews and and, and I found it incredibly moving, actually. Me too. And, and so eye-opening. Is some, you consider yourself a progressive person, but I was particularly feeling for 
Paris, you know, firefighting, like crackpot stories about um, predatory men uh, dressing as women and going into gender neutral bathrooms. And it's reminiscent of all the crazy stories around gay marriage like oh but what if a son ended up marrying a father because of uh, to avoid inheritance tax and and those are unimportant they're, they're so unlikely yeah. they're crackpot things that, and they're actually serious issues going on here especially around the mental health and suicide stuff which is horrendous and, and also just it's not okay what these newspapers are doing i know we've talked about it a lot but it is just not okay you know on this marquis de Sade point that I mentioned about this Times leader. Well, I looked up the Marquis de Sade on Google and the the, uh, the first article I came across was an article that said the Marquis de Sade was many things, a rapist, a paedophile and an eloquent literary apologist for sexual cruelty. It's just, n- if you're the Times leader writer and you are listening to this, it's not okay no, you know that what you, you are equating yeah. trans people with a guy who is described like this. You know, it's just not, it's just wrong yeah, that you're they, doing that. But they know what they're doing when they're doing that as well, aren't they? Well, I don't know what they think they're doing. I don't know what they think they're doing. I mean, look, in a in an odd way, you know, in America, the 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 this is this is what these newspapers need to think, right? They don't think of themselves as supporters of President Trump. President Trump is seen as margin in the margins of this issue because he's like, you know, against gender neutral bathrooms, against trans rights, reverses what Obama did on this. The mainstream of opinion in business among Democrats, including among some Republicans as well, is that this is this is like a really important part of, of equality. In fact, there was a whole thing about North Carolina because they passed a, a law to stop one part of North Carolina having gender-neutral bathrooms. And there was a big boycott organised by the college basketball, by the uh, by business. You know, they're not in a mainstream position, these newspapers. Well, that, that you know, if there is a reason to be cheerful, it's that those people are going to be on the wrong side of history, right? Yeah, I think so. But it, but look, in a way, it's I think it's a bit of a wake up call because I think lots. If we're frank about this, progressives have got other things to worry about, Brexit and all that. And it is really important that you worry about those things. You know, lots of us, including I'd put myself in this, don't know that much about these transgender issues. And you can't, I think you can't just sort of leave them to somebody else because otherwise nasty stuff gets written. The, the, the consensus that was developing thanks to people on both sides of the argument, and I think it's right to give credit to people like Justine Greening, to Theresa May on this because you know, they have put themselves in a good position as well as Jeremy Corbyn and, and others on the Labour side and, and other parties. But you can't just take it for granted. Yeah, and it's like Paris says, transgender rights are human rights. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. If you would like to share your thoughts and ideas for future episodes, you can email us reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. <laughs> are we going to do this in unison, are we? Um, this, this comes from Hugo Chapman. Wait, what about the next bit? What, what is the next bit? Well, you can find us on Twitter, us at, on Twitter. at cheerfulpodcast. Oh, no, dot com there. <laughs> or go to Facebook. I, I never com. remember that one. Dot com. Strong reasons to be cheerful. Um, I mean, it's because I've basically, it's been a like, constant source of resentment that you always get to do that bit and I never do. So I it's like I'm taking away the nuts and bolts and the mechanics. You're ta- so oh, so you you're don't taking have one to worry for the team about them. So, like, yeah. my creative genius can flourish. Exactly. I, I will right, do the Right. Okay, fine. Stuff, okay, fine. Just just, let, I just wanted to clarify that. Ed we've, never, we've never talked about that. <laughs> I thought we had an understanding. No, fine. It was too implicit. That's the problem. <laughs> um, Hugo Chapman writes Dear Jeff and Ed, why not? start the land tax ball rolling by putting inheritance tax on agricultural land without such a tax landed estates of the aristocracy and the super rich will just keep on being passed down to the next generation and that cannot be right let's move on from the 18th and 19th centuries when landed aristocracy held sway in parliament best wishes Hugo, who has yet to be snubbed by Ed at a theatre. Ah, give well, it time, Hugo. Yeah, every, give it sooner time. Or later, everybody will be snubbed yeah, by exactly. Ed. Yeah, exactly. I'm working on it. One, you know, one by one, yes. snubbing the country uh, at the theatre. Now, uh, Peter Smith. He says, "Hi, Ed and Jeff. Well done for exploring land value tax in episode eight. The thing about the idea is it becomes more profound the deeper you go into it." There are many angles to approach it from. One I like was beautifully covered by Henry George in Progress and Poverty, the relationship between rent, the return to the landowner, and wages, the return to the worker. Now, bear with us listeners here. Uh, Peter goes on. The stagnation of wages has gone hand in hand with the increase in house prices and other non-productive assets over the past four decades, resulting in ever greater levels of inequality. This was entirely foreseeable and is the inevitable result of taxing the wrong things, economic activity, while giving free rein to rent-seeking and monopolistic practices. So a simple tax shift is all that's needed to arrest the slide towards a more Dickensian socio-economic order so that work is once again rewarded and parasitic economic activity is curbed. So that is Peter uh, Smith, and he urges us at the end to read as much Henry George as we can, because his works are packed full of brilliant insights. For example, read The Condition of Labour, the letter George wrote to Pope Leo Thirteenth, and I think he provides a link to it, which we'll provide too. Wow, and you were saying there's the parallels between what he's saying and the stuff Thomas Pinkerty. Pinkerty, yeah. See, this this was one of those books very much like Stephen Hawking's Brief History of Time, which I bought and meant to read. But I was never, never quite in the you mood for and never every, quite in the mood You for and everyone it. else. You know what? The, the, it's, the, it's one of the obviously best-selling books of its kind, but it's one of the least read books on a Kindle. You know they can tell what page people yes. got up to? Yeah. I think it was the average was page seven or something. How many times have you read it? Yeah, I, can't, I, I have got memory. it. I have got it, but I haven't kind of got all the way through it. I think I think people will correct me. I'm going to probably have a howl here. But the point is that the Piketty argument was that the rate of return to capital 
is going to be greater than economic growth. That's his sort of rule. And basically, that means that the people who own capital are going to end up being richer and richer. That's the basic argument of Piketty, right. I think. And that's the, you sometimes see these T-shirts, R is greater than G. Aha. Uh -huh. And that's his That's his, that's his thing. Because right, right. if growth goes into wages and all that, but actually if capital is accumulating at a higher, faster rate, then the ends of capital are going to get richer. Well, I don't need to read it now. You no, exactly. Well, well, I may have got it sort of slightly wrong, but that's that's basically... I think, I think the thesis. When I said Thomas Pinkerty, I was thinking of that shirt shop you see in airports. Thomas That's Thomas Pink. Pink. Yeah, I was conflating the two. An interesting sort of combination. Maybe there's a kind of crossover thing. Some going. kind of collaboration. They yeah, do. exactly. <laughs> Maybe Thomas Pink could make those shirts without, what is it, R is greater than G? You're onto something. Yes. Um, That's what I'll, you get the big bucks for. I'll write them, yes. Uh, I'll write them a letter after I've finished my letter to Pope Leo XIII. Exactly. Um, Kate Edwards writes... I recently moved to Manchester. I th think that is an excellent choice you've made there, Kate. And like Ed, I enjoy running. Less of a good choice, I think. Um, ever since I moved to the city and have been running here, I've realised what total dicks men can be to women on the street from their cars. It's starting to get on my nerves. Having lived in a small village, I hadn't really experienced this before. On last week's podcast, one of Tiff Stevenson's ideas was that every man should have lessons in how to pay a compliment stroke what a compliment is. I think this is a perfect idea, but should be supplemented by certain rules regarding the road. If a man honks at a woman for no other reason than to bother her, he should then have his horn privileges temporarily revoked. Honking is in no way a compliment and only serves to embarrass, annoy. Same goes for shouting from your car. Second offence, car removed and so on. Perhaps ending with a permanent removal of car and vocal cords. I dream of a honk stroke shout free run. It's, she's she's got to be right about that. It's but just what women live with on a day-to-day -day -day basis. Well, that is everyday sexism, isn't it? But what is the mentality of somebody who yells out of a car? I mean, what are they hoping to achieve by that? Being so a dick. Someone's going to shout after them, oh, I'd like to go on a date yeah. with you. I mean, Being a dick. So, just more generally, I know you don't honk in these circumstances. You don't drive, do you? No, I've never honked. Oh, right. I'm a non-honker, non-driver, non-honker. No. Are you a big honker? No, I try not to honk too what much. What about road rage? you road rage guy. You can get a bit mildly irritated driving in London. <laughs> you're shaking your fist. Are you mouthing swear words? No, I'm not. Sort of, okay. uh, not not quite that far. Rage is probably overstating it. Yeah, then. mild irritation. <laughs> now, we've also got Lydia Partington. Hi there. Firstly, I'm really enjoying the podcast and listen every week. Thank you. I especially enjoyed hearing Ed talking about playing class struggle as a child. That's the board game. It reminded me of my own childhood in the 80s, where possibly in an attempt to teach my sister and I to be mindful of what was happening in the world at the time, my politically switched on mum encouraged us to play Reagan and Gorbachev, which was basically a ball game in the corridor of our house. where We would design elaborate ways to hit each other with a big blue ball, <laughs> brackets possibly the bomb, question mark, to determine who would win the Cold War. Russian and American accents were obligatory, and each game would more than likely include a of a fight too we were probably around six and eight at the time i also seem to have a vague memory of a nuclear war fun or maybe coloring book with the most terrifying pictures in and advice about what to do in the event of nuclear war happy days oh my god i think anybody of a certain age and i, I guess uh, lydia me and you all fall into this yeah. bracket i think the the specter of nuclear war when you were growing up i mean just so you know the odd thing about, you see the odd thing about it is that there was quite a lot around about all of that 
But I never really worried about it as a child. I know some people say that. Oh, I was so macabre. Like, so I, I would be walking the dog in the in the park, and I'd be thinking about. It. Remember, they used to say there was a four minute warning. You'd yeah, yeah, yeah. Room. I think I'd be remember being like eight years old, walking the dog, and thinking, "What if the four minute warning goes off and I can't get home in time to die with my family?" Oh my god! Isn't that like a horrible thought? Sure it's what a sort of globally conscious eight-year-old you were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what happened? <laughs> well, the, down, there, was no, ever there was no nuclear war. <laughs> Perestroika, that's what happened. Yeah, now, on Class Struggle, mm. um, we haven't yet been sent a free copy of Class Struggle. We're sort of working on it, aren't mm. we? Because people have tried to sell it to us, but we don't want to perpetuate this capitalist system. Well, actually, we tried to buy one second hand, and a listener said he wasn't selling. Everybody and has could come price. To, Everybody could, has a price, Ed. We could come to Chiswick to play it with him, which is a kind offer, but but uh, we're, we're still sort of looking for our version, aren't mm. we? So if you know, if anyone wants to sort of, maybe they could lend it to us. Yeah, we we would take care of it. We would in a sort of in a very socialist way, wouldn't yeah, we? Yeah, absolutely. We'd sort of redistribute the pieces around your neighbourhood. Email us reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at Cheerful Podcast or search for our Facebook page, Reasons to be Cheerful Podcast. And here to pitch ideas, which could be potential reasons to be cheerful, Miranda Kane. Hello. Hello. Hello, Miranda. Are you are you enjoying the autumn? I, mean... uh, I am, yeah, actually. I have to keep reminding myself that it's not winter because it is getting quite peaky outside. The, the day we're recording this is particularly beautiful. It is. It's so nice and sunny, though. But you're up here in this boiling hot loft and I've just been downstairs chilling my nipples off. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> and, and what's going on with you at the moment? What are you working on? Uh, at the moment, I'm doing blogs for the Metro, which is nice. So it's sort of beginner's guide to a bit of kink. Um, very, very sort of, oh, your face, Ed. <laughs> I, I will try and shelter Ed from this as much as possible. But I, I sometimes worry about myself that my, my kink is that I have no kink whatsoever at all. Is that, is that a thing? Is that, that okay? Is absolutely right. fine. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Mr. Vanilla. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm sure everyone's got a little secret account on FetLife. So I, I do Little Beginner's Guide to Kink in the Metro. Uh, and I've just released an audio sitcom on audible.com called slaving away and sort of it's just about what i i my whole resin on comedy is like because i used to be a sex worker and so for me whenever i saw representations of them on tv they were either uh, abuse victims or they were these non-touchable statuesque models and there was no one who looked like me there was no one who was totally average and who spent more time in weatherspoons than they did in a boutique shopping for thousand pound dresses right so for me uh slaving away is just the utterly mundane life of a dominatrix and how many episodes are there uh, there's six and um, we've got quite a few people in them we've got kevin eldon we've basically got like hugh dennis john holmes and mitch ben so i've got half of radio four working for a prostitute which is <laughs> pretty good going yeah thanks yeah. <laughs> i thought so fancy making a cameo <laughs> Uh, yeah. take it under I think I'm qualified. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what ideas do you have there? Do you want to pitch as your first one? Okay, so my first one uh, is I'm going to give everyone in their lifetime uh, a million words. And you can't go above that? No, no. 
You've only got a million words. No more. You can use less, but you can't have any more. It's because... basically anti-windbaggery. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. so rec- to... recently Twitter doubled their yes. word count and yeah. people have lost their minds about this because people are no longer being succinct yeah. on that particular form of social media. And you think this would encourage people to think about what they're saying? Think more. about what they're saying. It would encourage education in using words because uh, Terry Pratchett, he said a lot of young people today, they don't know how to express themselves because they don't know the words. So we heard people saying like, oh, that's sick that's bad that's good and it's like well what about that's frustrating I feel ambitious I feel you know so it's it's just a way for us to be more economical with what we're saying and it's a way for us to not interrupt people uh, so a lot of things that I might get as a woman is I get a lot of guys interrupting me uh, and also because of what I used to do for a living I also like I'll finish doing my show and I'll get um, maybe the comedian who's on net after me or something coming up to me and going, oh, you had a big one. Uh, I bet you're used to that. It's like, oh, oh. <laughs> so, so, but so what happens when you get to the limit? So when you get to the limit, you just can't speak anymore, uh, which means uh, that when you're older and if you've used your words economically, that means that when you're older, you can then start monetizing your words. So you can save <laughs> Sell them, all them up. off. Yeah. So you can start working in call centers, whereas at the moment we have people in the service industry who are not getting paid that much. Uh, and then rather in my world, they'll get paid a lot because they have to say, good afternoon. And how can I help you every time? And it means that people who aren't represented in films and TV and the theatre, so a lot of parts are going to white men. And it means that people will go, oh, well, we've got a lot of people who aren't, their voices aren't being used. Um, then we'll start writing parts for them. So we'll see a lot of older women. And a lot Redistribution of, of words, yes, basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I like it. And that's, the, that's the catchy way to put it. I Definitely. Think. Thank you. Um, What's your next suggestion? So I've noticed that in government, we have a lot of houses. We have the Houses of Parliament. We have the House of Commons, the House of Lords. We have the White House. We have the House on the Hill. We have all these houses. I'm going to make them haunted. <laughs> I'm going to the open haunted up. haunted House of Parliament. Absolutely haunted. Going to open them up to a demon dimension. None of this plastic, <laughs> like, you know, no plastic skeletons. Absolute proper haunted. So it means that if you want to do policy change, if you want to do, uh, if you want to put something in place, you have to be really determined to stand up there and go, this is my argument and this is why we're going to do it. And you have to be really determined to go in and vote for it because otherwise there's going to be zombies coming at you. There's going to be Sadako from the ring. There's going to be all these terrible things that are coming at you so you have to be really determined and then what happens is because I've really thought about this guys what happens is when you watch Most Haunted which I'm not saying I do too much but Derek I'm more a renter ghost man myself (laughs) (laughs) someone's always there going oh we have to chant so we have to protect ourselves so the audience because obviously we're going to be watching this so Mm. the members of the public they have like the magical chants so they can like be like chanting for you so they keep Sadako and the zombies away or they could be charting against you. So when you're standing up filibustering for car parking charges on the NHS, then you've got like Freddy Krueger coming at you. And, you know, and it's, it's certainly be a sort of added dimension. Well, I yeah. guess, guess my question is to Ed, who spent a lot of time in the House of Commons, are any of these things more repulsive than what you've seen on the opposite benches so far? <laughs> No, it's definitely worth a try. It's definitely worth a try. It will definitely add some pressure. Yeah, and I think we'll have a lot more help for mental health services because if you've stood in front of all these horrific things coming at you, then you're going to be like, yes, we need more things out there for PTSD sufferers. Yes, I mean, this this makes perfect sense. So we've got to somehow... Uh, the in- Hammer House of Commons. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. In- invoking the dead and the undead, right? Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, where do, where do we go from there then? I'm going to go for uh, Benedict Cumberbatch should come round my house to have a nice time. Okay. Wow. And, and you think this should be mandated by the government? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I realise that you can't make all the people happy all of the time. So let's just make me and Cumberbatch happy. <laughs> Have you had any dealings with Benedict Cumberbatch? I, I've met him um, once or twice. He's Does he look like he, nice. he needs a bit of cheering up? I haven't seen him recently enough to know whether that's sort of... But should we try and contact him, maybe, Jeff? Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't even need a Ouija board, unlike with the, uh, the aforementioned ghosts. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's not. It's nothing sexual. It's just, would he like to come round to my house to have a nice time? And how do you see that going? I can see us sitting in a pair of fat pants watching Netflix. <laughs> He could be cream. your Gogglebox companion. Yeah. Like Jeremy yes. had, Jeremy Corbyn was on Gogglebox. With Jessica Hines. Jessica, Jessica Hines. Hines. I would Gogglebox the shit Who out would you, <laughs> right, okay, that's a good question though. Who would your Gogglebox companion be? It would be, be you, Jeff? of course, Ed. I'm <laughs> rather upset that they didn't ask us. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'd have to be us together. What would we choose to watch? Blue Planet 2? Yeah, although Ed considers the Blue Planet, uh, or Attenborough specifically, yeah, our nemesis definitely. because they keep beating us in the iTunes chat. Def- definitely. Yeah. Uh, what else would you choose? Would have be something we could watch together, which would sort of nothing, nothing scary, because I wouldn't want to find myself nestling into no. your comely <laughs> bosom uh, in fear. That that wouldn't be great. The new Doctor Who, I'd, I'd watch that with you. Jodie Whittaker, Doctor yeah. Who. I mean, are, you, are you a Doctor Who fan? Mm, yeah, I was when I was. Tom Baker was my Doctor Who. Mine too. I had the scarf. Ed Ed, Ed likes watching. Who was uh, your Doctor Who? Oh, my Doctor Who was Sylvester McCoy. Uh-huh. And I met him in Hampstead. He was just walking past and I was like, and oh God, this is how, okay, so this is how geeky my life actually is. Uh, I saw Sylvester McCoy walking past a pub in Hampstead whilst I was with my archery team. You're in an archery team? <laughs> wow. Yeah. I think that's quite cool, archery, it being the archery team. No, it's not geeky. I, geeky I, is like me. I mean, that's. I don't think it's yeah. geeky. Yeah, because there's it? a physical and a coordinated aspect to it. So we're yeah, in, think... instantly excluded from it. <laughs> I, I, I hide it well. No, I don't. I don't. But it's. Yeah, so I saw him and he was very nice. And the archery team came out. and we all had How it. many people are on an archery team? You can have as many as you want. So okay. we meet together in a, a hall in Hampstead. There are some groups in London um, where you've got your own archery field. So if you've been a member for like over two years, you get a key to the archery field so you can go and shoot whenever you want. But you've yeah. got to prove that you really mean it. You've got the two years. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like a cooling off period in America with the guns. Yeah, exactly. You've never done archery, presumably. No, I haven't. I, I, I haven't like the really. hand-eye coordination for anything like that. <laughs> and you're not planning any kind of civil insurrection, you archers. You know, you're not going to storm parliament or anything. Well, if I was, would I tell you? True, true. It's, you know... We keep that How one on good the are you at the archery? I um, I can shoot a winds around. Uh, I'm not quite good with the Portsmouth, um, and I can shoot recurve uh, with sight or without. Oh yeah, I'm winning on those geek points. <laughs> <laughs> boop, 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 boop. Do you ever get, ever get How are you? How are you with the Bournemouth? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, not great with the board. I'm not even good at darts. I keep missing missing the board. Yeah. <laughs> We've just reached out to a whole new demographic, the archery demographic. <laughs> yes, the archers. Not the archers demographic, <laughs> no. but the archery demographic. <laughs> that is really, it's really important. I'm always looking for new frontiers, yeah. new demographic frontiers, and we've just, we've definitely yeah. just reached a new frontier. Will you, t- will you tell the archery team about us? A hashtag yeah. archery all the way. Yeah, <laughs> Hampstead shooters. If there are any archers 
I'm not talking about Shula and David here. If there are any archers who want to who want to email in about the Portsmouth and the Triple Salco or whatever you said, uh, then uh, please do. So, Miranda, you have the the column in the metro yes and then are you on tour can people come and see you i haven't got anything planned at the moment so you can hear my dulcet tones in slaving away available on audible.com uh and then follow me on twitter it's miri kane or just search miranda kane uh and i'll let you know if i if i pull anything out my arse basically <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for coming in Cheers. reasons to be cheerful with ed Miliband and jeff lloyd well i'm feeling sad you're fe- feeling sad. Would you like me to tickle you? No, I'm feeling sad because you are leaving the country. Would you like a little um, photograph of me to put into your wallet? Can we, like, FaceTime every night? <laughs> <laughs> then I'll be going, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. Yeah, we, c- we can do that. Are you going to miss us all, the team and everything? Would you like me to say yes? Would you like me to humor I think you? that would be the diplomatic answer. Yes, yes, I, I will, in my own way. <laughs> Do you think Sarah will be thinking, oh, thank God we don't have to see those people for two weeks? Do you think Justine will be thinking, thank God Ed's going to be away from those people for two weeks? No, she's going to be thinking, oh, God, he's going to be like hanging around feeling mournful about, you know, where's Jeff? (laughs) So we should do our thank yous for this week. Thanks to Miranda Kane. You can find her on Twitter and also her columns are in the Metro newspaper. And thanks to Dr. Helen Webberley, our GP. Thanks to Paris Lees. And in particular, thanks to Joe, the parent of a transgender child who came in and shared his experiences with us. And it was a wonderful thing to hear as well, because you got the impression that Joe wasn't from the type of community which would necessarily be accepting of this kind of thing. And he's had to learn about it himself and his family. But actually, the takeout is that the, the fellow pupils and other parents and the schools have all been really understanding. So the more you talk about these things, the more the more information there is out there, the, the more people will be accepting of it. Completely right. And that is definitely a reason to be cheerful. Now, I would normally give out the email address at this point, but I feel a little chastised by Ed for hogging the giving out of the email address. So, so who email you... us at reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com or you can find us on Twitter at cheerfulpodcast or you can go to facebook.com forward slash Reasons to be cheerful Reason, podcast. Reasons to be cheerful. Nearly, nearly got it yeah. right. Reasons to be cheerful podcast. I was feeling slightly redundant there until the end of the Facebook. Well, I, still I wanted to make you feel. There, better, there is a actually. reason for me to still be. No, no, there definitely is. There definitely is. Emma Corsham produced our podcast with backup and research from Alex Weiss-Bryce and Lindsay Todd. Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. James Deacon made our idents. Ed Seed provided the music, and our artwork was designed by Emily Power. Are you ready then? Have I said I'm going to miss you? <laughs> I'm going to miss you too. I, I, was... I, was just, I was just trying to cue you up to sort of do that in a kind of, you know, genuine, sort of spontaneous, spontaneous right. way. Okay. He's been Ed Miliband. <laughs> and he's been Jeff Lloyd. And these have been reasons to be cheerful. No, no, I'm supposed to do that bit. Oh, God, he's at it again, wanting to hug the microphone. <laughs> 